I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Waypoint UK podcast, uh, episode four already, uh, with me, Mike Diver, senior editor at Waypoint. And today I'm joined with two, with two people, by two people, insert or delete as you feel appropriate, by two people, Laura Kate Dale uh, of Let's Play Video Games and Julian Benson of Kotaku UK. How are you both doing today? I'm good. It's really nice to get invited along. So yeah, let's talk about video games and such. <laughs> I'm really well. I'm looking forward to talking about some computer games and seeing what we've got for the year ahead. Computer and video games. I remember that. Oh, shit. That that, that (laughs) used to be a thing. Well, it's just like three years working on a PC website. It's like I still need to try to remember to include other consoles whenever I'm thinking about computer games and and video games. And also video games. (laughs) Those two. All kinds of things. But uh, one of the reasons I brought you two together on this podcast, because I wanted to kick off this new year... um, by, by looking into the more more journalism side of games journalism. We throw the J word around a lot, you know, but, but and I, I come from a, a background where I studied journalism, you know, so you did a bit of investigative stuff, you know, you sort of sniff around and you find stuff out and that's how you get your news. You know, whereas a lot of the way that the game's news cycle works is kind of quite publisher provided, right? Quite PR provided some of the time. Um, but you two have both done amazing things lately. I mean, Laura, obviously you've... Uh, got a reputation i suppose maybe it precedes you for for revealing details of things when you, you know when you've um the sources not to verify them and, and julian you've done amazing stuff at kataki you did an amazing deep dive on star citizen which was just incredible amounts of research way beyond what you know i mean you're called the news editor there right which is ridiculous when you put that much of work into it so so that's really cool to have you both here and we can hopefully talk about uh the serious side of reporting in video games so yeah, just just to start off, I suppose, uh, you know, what? Why do you both do what you do? Like, what's your motivation to be, to be, you know, kind of at the vanguard of of reporting events and, you know, the changes and evolution and disruption in this industry of ours? I suppose. Uh, well, so basically, it sort of comes out of what I find interesting. Like the first thing I did when I was writing about games was um, I had like a an evening shift working for uh, PC Games N where. There was an element of original reporting, but largely it was sort of scouring to see what had been announced. And after a year of that, that became... You could do it by rote. Like, it was really easy to sort of just like, here's a press release, throw some jokes into there, turn it into something a bit more exciting. But it was certainly... It wasn't very much in the way of actually doing journalism. And that's something ever since I've always found quite interesting. Like, it's sort of the thing which... 
I get enthused by is when I'm actually researching a story and I know that I'm getting something that no one else has. I mean, it's sort of like, there are times when sort of you hear about something and someone says, we can't say any more about it, which to me, I suddenly find is quite an exciting thing. Like, right, I want to find out what that thing is. Because if you're not telling me, then it must be something quite interesting. Yeah. Because those kind of junket situations, like if you, you know, people get thrown into a room with producer or a director or something, like nine times out of ten, they will not give you everything you want, will they? And in the worst possible situations, there's one or two people there who are going to tell you when you overstep the mark and will make sure that other person doesn't tell you a damn thing, which is so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. maddening. That's why. Well, have you had that thing where sort of, yeah, you're, you're seeing a game and you're in an interview situation and then you've had someone sort of say, we're not talking about that yet. Or similarly, like, I want you to take that out. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You've yeah. both had it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Most times. Does that have an impact on the way you do things then, Laura? Definitely. Um, there is a real frustration about um, the way that sometimes you you know things and either you find them interesting or sometimes you know that they're of interest or value to a consumer who's going to break up the end product and it's frustrating to basically feel like you're regurgitating the set line rather than telling people stuff that you think is important. Um I know like the the big thing I I did uh towards the, uh, the one of the first things I did in 2016 the, with reporting was the PS4 Slim. Uh like I knew I had that console in my hands before it was announced so and you I you had one out of yeah, the box I, in I, your I, house, right? I physically had one in my house and I I was like this console has no optical audio output that is a valuable thing for consumers to know and no one like I have this box why can't I talk about it why is everyone afraid to and it's I think that was the thing for me this year that got me into doing more of the investigative stuff was it was annoying knowing this is a fact about a consumer product that a consumer should probably know and that there is value in them knowing and for some reason we're not talking about and yeah, that was just frustrating. So were you sort of tentative then when, when you had that PS Slim to to go public with what was and wasn't there? Because obviously, you know, we all know that, you know, we, 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 we have good relate we have good close relationships with people at major companies and publishers and whatnot. And and that most of them know that, you know, we, we're not trying to screw anyone over and we never would. But at the same time, like you're saying, that's information that people should know. It's going to be public in that case it was like, what was it a few weeks uh, i think it was about it? three weeks it before weeks, uh, before it? it came out or like a week before it was announced yeah. But yeah, it was in the summer wasn't it in the event yeah was it was uh, end of august but mm. that that was an anno- that that was one where i was i was definitely nervous about reporting on it because slightly before me Eurogamer had put up a video and said oh yeah we've seen one it's real and then they took it down citing legal legal concerns That's right they went to and, someone's house didn't they yeah they went yeah. to someone's house and saw it and it was frustrating to me that there was this moment of like someone has stepped in and said you can't talk about this thing even though it clearly existed and there was certainly an amount of concern about doing it but in like eventually i just pushed through and was like i have this thing i know it exists if i'm not talking about it then what what am am i really more than a pr regurgitation at that point and I think that was the first time I thought about that angle of, am I just regurgitating PR if I don't do this? Yeah, I don't know. Well, because actually, I, I remember uh, reading your piece, and was there you had a paragraph? Was it at the beginning or at the end where it was sort of like, please don't sue me? Yeah, but- I, the paragraph <laughs> at the beginning that basically boiled down to, um, I believe that there is a journalistic and uh, consumer interest angle on this. Please don't sue me. Please like. I've said that it exists now. Please, please just don't take it down. Be be good. But like, it's that bizarre thing where you're, and you were absolutely right. Like it was that sort of thing of like, if you had 
then received someone saying, um, okay, we want you to take this down. It's like, well, what right do you have? Mm. And and the only, the angle which I suppose they could have taken would have been along the lines of um, this console has been illegally obtained. Mm. And in doing so, you are uh, benefiting uh, from uh, a criminal act. But I don't know. It it didn't see, uh, and I can imagine that would have been the angle that might have been used against someone like Eurogamer or someone. But I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. It. the the concern I had on that front was that um, while I had been assured that it was sol- uh, that I the the unit I'd obtained had come through a street a street date broken retailer as opposed to stolen stock, the problem is with UK um, stolen goods handling is that if you're accused of handling stolen goods, whether you knew you were doing so or not you are at fault as the person handling those goods. And it was a big, messy legal situation of, like, that is why I I made sure I no longer had the console before I posted my review to just be like, okay, it's not in my possession. Please, please don't come sue me. I don't have it. It's, Does it's... the person who moved it on to know, know its origins? Uh, the person who moved it on to me told me the origin was that a, like, I, I, I don't know if I've talked much about this. Basically, a store in the United Arab Emirates had stock early to sell. They sold it to a brother who lived in the UK and the brother in the UK sold it on in the UK. That is, as I understand it, the situation. So the retailer broke street date but it wasn't stolen stock it had been purchased from sony which i could not prove but i that was the the narrative i worked with it was a big messy it was a big messy situation that one yeah and 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 obviously i mean i was reading that at the time as well i was i actually went to the event in in new york and started thinking (laughs) yeah i know all this i wonder where i've seen this before (laughs) did that kind of trigger something in you in a way where you're just like hey this is good like you said this is not mm. i'm not going against the the proverbial grain here i'm doing something that's really useful i'm not you know i'm not being the an antagonist or anything I, that, which, which i don't because i don't see it at all but you know definitely like my my thought there was that nothing i was doing was ruining the end experience for a consumer who buys that product like someone who buys a ps4 slim isn't going to have a lesser experience because i talked about it earlier and it might give them additional information with which to make purchases or not make purchases in that window leading up to release. And I think for me, that was the thing where I just started thinking, I want to do more reporting like this. I don't want to report anything that's going to, you know, I don't want to be saying, oh, I found out what the ending of this upcoming game is. This is what it's going to be. I don't want to ruin people's end experience. But that I found it fascinating this information was out there and just not being talked about in a lot of cases. I mean, for you, Julian, have you, you know, because you'll go and you'll meet people, talk to people. I mean, when you know something that no one else has got that information, does the news hound in you just lust to get it out there? I mean, how how do you balance, the same applies to you, obviously, Laurie, how do you balance that having this nugget of knowledge that you feel is of significance in some way, but you also think that if you were to put it out there, it would piss that other person off. It would upset them if you put that out there. What, like, so what, the person who so if you've got some information, information, let, let, information. Let's say yeah. let's say you're in a studio and someone says, "Oh, you know, you can have a quick look at this, but don't tell anyone." Naughty Julian. And so you've seen something. You're like, I just saw a dev kit for it. I don't know, like you know, you know, an NX dev kit or whatever. You know, which we're doing the rounds. Yeah, yeah. Some of us may have seen them, and that's where we went. That's not right. Um, but you know, when you know that kind of stuff, like how. Do you, do you have any kind of internal conflict as to what I should say and what I can't say? Uh, it depends. I mean, so, for instance, there, 
are stories I've been told by someone who says, you can't quote me on that. Mm. And that's fine. I won't quote them on it. But because I now know the story, although the person originally who told me that thing may not want that story to get out, and that's why they won't want to be quoted, I've not used them. And they've, they've let me know that this thing exists, and I've then searched out the means to, uh, to, to relate it. But uh, I found enough other people willing to share the details of it um, besides them. I don't know. And like, there have been a couple of times where, and these aren't necessarily source, uh, like stories about leaks and that sort of thing, but I've had a couple of stories where I've written, someone's talked to me, I've written something, and they've been very upset. But I just make sure that when I've published something, I feel like I've been fair by the person I'm right. quoting. Like, I'm not misconstruing what they said to get a better angle. Like, I am actually just relating what they told me. And it may be that sort of, I think there are a lot of people who, when they're interviewed, for instance, immediately aware of what it says. Um, like, sort of, they're having a nice conversation. And that's obviously disappointing that they didn't realize exactly what it was they were saying. But I'm still going to print it. Um, I don't like, and I imagine you've had similar situations where have you know, people come back to you after an interview and say, that's not what I said. Yeah, it's always awkward when you have to do that moment of going back to someone and saying, well, you did say this, here's the recording, like, I'm not going to retract what I've published because it was accurate. But um, to your question, I guess, like, there is a difference between information said in confidence where the person has said, I don't want to be quoted on this. I'm showing you off the record. You know, I'm showing you just, you know, for your own interest. This is not something that I'm ready to get out. And that's one situation. And if if that's a situation with an individual, I will usually, like, I will honor that. I will go in and say, okay, you've shown me under this context. That's fine. I won't report that you've said it. But again, at that point, you know, and you can start looking around for, are there other people who are willing to go on the record and be quoted on things. Um, the people that I try not to think about um, is PR in that case. Like I'm usually aware in those situations, PR don't want this getting out, but like often people will say to me online, like, why are you talking about this? You, you know, you, you shouldn't have talked about this. This was under someone's NDA. It's like, yeah, but it wasn't my NDA. Yeah. If someone chose to break NDA to me, um, and break a non-disclosure agreement, that's a risk they've chose, uh, chosen to put themselves under. And my job is not to concern myself with what, with their having made that decision. It's to take that information and decide what to do with it from there, I guess. Mm. I mean, because this sort of brings it back to leaks, but there is that thing of, um, uh, and I, I've certainly seen it in response to uh, some of the leaks that you've been publishing. And then similarly, uh, it's happened in the past with stuff that we've published where people will say, um, uh, what are you doing? You're, you're sort of, you're spoiling um the marketing campaign for this game or like you're revealing stuff which other people uh, wouldn't want out. And sort of, it, it comes back to that thing of, uh, yes, it may be that they've got a, a big plan for this, but we're not an employee of theirs. We've not, if, I mean, certainly if I've ever signed an NDA, I'm not going to break it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but I've not signed NDAs in these instances and so on. And it's, there's no uh, contractual reason for me not to. And people should recognize that I am a journalist. And so, they have to be very aware of what they say around me. Yeah, like I think the fundamental difference is PR's job is to tell you tell people the version of events that paints them in the best light, whereas our role is to get all the information out regardless of what light it places. And, you know, that's it's two different things. If we're not talking about the things that PR's not talking about, then we're not really doing a service to the job that we're supposed to be doing in the first place. It's also the thing of, um, uh, so I'm trying to remember, there was a, 
And it's uh, last year, I think it was, Stephen Totillo, who's um, the US editor of Kotaku, um, he published an article which was um, the price of games journalism or the cost of games journalism. But essentially it was about sort of how uh, Kotaku's been under a blacklist from Bethesda for a very long time and Ubisoft at the time as well. Um, and uh, I've spoken to uh, people who, who knew those companies' side of things and they were saying sort of along the lines like, Yes, it's frustrating when a, a publication reveals this information that uh, they'd want to keep secret. But actually, the, the the job at that point for the company is to suddenly find who was leaking. It's not mm. to go after the press who who published it. It's to like there is someone within the company who is who is definitely breaking a contract by yes. giving that information out. And so it's not sort of the, it, it, the press who should be targeted. It, it, should, yeah. it, the people who are leaking that information to the press are the people that have done something wrong to, on, to the company as opposed to the people who then report that on who aren't, weren't under any obligation legally not to talk about it. Yeah, It is frustrating when the response is to punish the journalists who reported on that information rather than the people who broke specific contracts they were under. Mm. But I'm 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 aware of it being a cost. Um, I'm amazed that Sony never came knocking down my door. I was very much expecting that with the PS4 Slim stuff. But uh, no, certain companies seem to be definitely better than others about responding to people who've leaked information and still working with them. It's also though, similarly like even if um, so yeah, Bethesda have uh, had a blacklist on Kotaku since. Uh, I think it must be like 2014, um, back when sort of information about Prey 2 and some emails from the company were leaked. And since then, they've, they uh, their PRs just won't talk to us. Um, and uh, so we can't get hold of review code, we can't go to events to, to see the games ahead of time. But that's never stopped us reporting on them. Like it's sort of, we'll still find ways to talk to their developers, but also we'll still cover their games fairly. I mean, Patricia Hernandez was doing incredible work on uh, Fallout. Ever since Fallout 4 got released, she's been... Uh, frequently posting features on it, going deep into the community and finding ways to talk about that game in an interesting way. And sort of that of, yeah, even if we do get blacklisted as a cost of doing that style of reporting, we'll still cover those games fairly as much mm. as we can. And I'm sure this is exactly the same. Like if Nintendo turned around and blacklisted you, I don't know if this is something which has happened. I've not been told it officially, but I've had people um, off the record tell yeah. me that that it's a thing already. So, But when the Switch comes out, you're still going to be... Oh covering it I'll as still pick much it up. as you I'll would still the PlayStation. The games. And, yeah. I won't be any harsher on them because of that, but you know, that's, you know, that's it's their prerogative if they wish if that's the response they want to have to to me leaking stuff, but I'll still keep doing my job. I just might not have a review up day one obviously. I suppose as well. I mean, I don't think there's all that much um to be gained some of the time apart from, you know, getting your your clicks in place from having those day ones anymore really. I think I don't know anyone else I like to see a group of them together and especially if I mean, people tend to follow your sites anyway for what they offer and what they say like you're saying like even if Kotaku is quote unquote blacklisted which I find hilarious anyway like oh well we're bigger boys than you and we're gonna play this game our way and you can't play with us anymore seems a little bit sort of pathetic to me anyway but uh, not that I'm down on Bethesda you know they're lovely but you know never had a problem with them myself but uh, probably do now uh, but it, um. You mentioned leaks and all that, obviously, and and the, uh, the reception to it, and like you know, oh, you're spoiling it for us. That that really surprises me. Whenever I see that come out, like, um, how like do you just kind of laugh in the face of that and go, you you idiots? Like we're giving you this information. You don't, you know, we're not, we're genuinely not 
this isn't us telling you, you know, we're not giving you a Christmas presents like on Christmas Eve or anything. Like we're, we're, we're giving you information that you can make proper decisions based on. And, you know, let's be honest, the internet's a pretty big place. Like if you don't want to see this shit, it's really easy to avoid it. I've, you know? I, I've said this before to people who follow me on Twitter and complain about me leaking Switch information. And I say, well, don't follow me then or, you know, set up a, a, a block so that you don't see my tweets if they have the word Switch in them. Like, there are ways to avoid me my leaks if you aren't interested. Or if you see something that starts with leak rumor report mm-hmm. and then a headline, just don't read further than that, perhaps, if you don't want to know. It's one of those things where... Because as a result, yeah, going back to that sort of, uh, post by Stephen Tatio, uh, and um, uh, this the comments were along the lines of people saying, "Yeah, don't why are you supporting this marketing campaign and that sort of thing." And one, it was a strange reaction and one I wasn't expecting. And at the same time, so we are a website that is uh, happy to leak. I mean, it's happy to leak in the wrong word. We'll do investigations, we will talk to anonymous sources, and we if don't... it all checks out. Yeah, then, and we yeah. don't really mind um, uh, sticking to... We won't really protect a game company for just the sake of keeping its marketing mm. campaign rolling. And like, so for instance, we find out a game exists and we can verify this game exists. We're not going to wait until the street date of its announcement that we're going to, to announce it. And Kotaku readers know that. Like mm. they know that that's what they'll get if they come to Kotaku. And I think it's one of these things where uh, not all video games websites are the same. Um, mm. They've got very different interests and flavors. And for instance, on the Kotaku UK side, we don't really do reviews mm. um, because the US will do a large proportion of the game reviews. But similarly, it's just sort of not something we're massively interested in doing as a review for day one. We'll cover a game after it's come out that sort of thing so people know not to come to us massively for reviews if that's what they're interested in they go mm. to Eurogamer they go to PC Gamer all these other websites yeah. who do do them similarly if you are wanting uh, investigative stuff then you do come to us and similarly mm. you go to Let's Play Video Games you go to places where they've proven in the past that's what they do and it's sort of I think just the real diehard readers of websites recognize are there because of those things but also mm. they recognize um, what they can expect to find when they're reading articles. But also what you were saying is if you've got a headline, which is so-and-so, such-and-such uh, reveals, um, it, it's, that's what the article is going to be about. Like if it's going to be about mm. Switch details, like all the specs of the Switch have been revealed, that's what's going to be in the article. Mm. And I don't know, just don't read it. Um, yeah, like I know there have been times where like, you know, either be it in video games or movies or whatever piece of media that something's come out and I'm not going to be able to see it or experience it straight away. And I've gone, okay, I will avoid the places where that's probably going to get covered so that I can go in fresh. And if if I, if you want to go in fresh on something, it's relatively easy to avoid, to avoid that information. I've done it myself and it amazes me how many people apparently find it difficult to do. Is it the lure? The lure you know, it's just like, I know I shouldn't look. But I'm going to look at it because I fall for that sometimes. You know, oh, I can't watch Westworld yet because if I watch it now, my wife won't. We'll have to watch it tomorrow with the wife. But I might just have a look and see what happened. Oh, no! I'm going to ruin it. But then do you comment or tweet at the writer saying, why did you write that spoiler-filled post, which I I had to read? I just feel a dick myself for ruining it for myself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's the response. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's sort of like there's, what was this? Um, The whole of the next series of Game of Thrones has had its script leaked mm. this happened before christmas like yeah. a couple of months ago 
And I've managed to, uh, as soon as I say this, I'm now going to get this tweeted at me. I'm like, <laughs> I've managed to avoid everything that's that been revealed well. in those scripts. Yeah. I, mm, like, I didn't even realize that it happened for, for a month after it had done. Like, it's also, if you don't want to read and find out certain things, you just don't go to the places where those things are going to be discussed. Kotaku is probably one of those places where, gaming-wise, if there is information that's been revealed about a game through a code release or uh, a hack or something like that, you're probably going to find it on Kotaku. Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. Like, I think if you have as an outlet a reputation for doing things like leaks, people should probably be aware of that and avoid you if that's a thing they don't want to experience. And I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't come to Let's Play Video Games because they might see leaks about the Switch. That's, you know, if you don't want to see that, then that's that's cool. That's not a problem. But Switch leaks cake stuffed vaginas oh. i mean it's all been going off on your site lately <laughs> we have we have had a very weird weird year for content <laughs> to let's play video games but what i mean do you have a kind of internal i guess barometers that might be the right word you know kind of like a way of measuring like no like that's too much or that's like you know that would be mm. stepping over a mark and, and you know because i mean you know blacklisting is one thing but you really i mean you don't want to totally spoil the relationship with nintendo mm. you know then nice people there's systems you like there's games you like it's nice to be a, to, for them to like you know whoever they are you know <laughs> like, hello mr miyamoto how you did um you know to, to to not be completely kicked to the side and yeah you know, well be the renegade i i think for me i have two barometers that i use one of them is would if if i wasn't in games press and i read this would it affect my enjoyment of the end product and the one that's a bit more nebulous is if I wasn't in games press and I was just following this this console, would I be interested in this news? Would this would this get me discussing things with my friends? Would this get me going like, oh, I wonder if that means and having those conversations? I think if it's a leak that just is, oh, that's the case and you've got nothing else to say about it afterwards, it sometimes doesn't feel like it's of interest enough to to run. But generally for me, it's just... Anything I publish, I don't want it to ruin the end experience. If someone accidentally sees this post, is it going to lessen their enjoyment or lessen their ability to go in blind on a final product on the day they go and buy it? And as long as I'm not ruining that experience, then for me, I feel like I'm in the position I want to be. So is there anything you've heard about the Switch, which you've been able to verify, that you've then chosen not to... Mm. Sure. There is a decent amount of information that I've got double sourced that I've not spoken about. Um, some of it is because it falls into that previous category of that's information about a game that will probably lessen that moment for you when you play it. Some of it just because I have honestly become exhausted in the last couple of months. And, you know, I'm at a point now where I'll, I'll leave some stuff to be surprises. I'm not going to stick my neck out to, to publish more, but there is definitely things that I've heard and not reported you're sitting on an f-zero aren't you i wish i was <laughs> I, i'll tell you i'm not sat on an f-zero i wish i was sat on f-zero didn't the nintendo themselves said didn't they something along the lines of what more could we do with that like why do you want it back what what more could it be other than more f-zero that's that, fine that, that's yeah, what we want does anyone want more than that like star fox i mean yeah. you know G- give us really more bad. f-zero make it shiny let me have it on the go and still be quite shiny and i'll probably be very happy i'd be into that yeah i mean even though you know knowing all you have or you know all the sources you've had around the switch you know you yourself are still enthused and you want to want to have this 
machine in your house yeah and this is the thing yeah i you know i've i've seen so much information about what's going to happen at the 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 uh, the reveal event next week and there's stuff that i've not talked about i'm still excited to watch that reveal because even if i know the bullet points i still haven't seen that presentation i'm still going to go into that waiting to see oh how are they going to put that all together is it going to be paced well um what's the reaction going to be to various things they talk about I'm still excited for that presentation, regardless of knowing the bullet points of what's going to happen. And I find it interesting how many people knowing those bullet points suddenly lose interest in watching how it all comes together, I guess. Well, I suppose that maybe that's the people who seem to be upset that we were spoiling the reveals of... When people have said, when you're leaking information, you're spoiling the reveal of this. I suppose that's the relationship they have with game releases that... I mean, you don't have and I don't have. It's that sort of thing like, I'm not that excited for trailer drops and that sort of thing. I would just happily yeah. have the information available and then write mm. about it. Because the game is the thing which is, at the end of the day, interesting. Exactly. Like, it's, it is... To me, it's more interesting to find out that, say, there's a Mario Rabbids RPG happening and to discuss for a while, like, oh, that's a thing? Okay, well, you know why do we think this came about? What does that tell us about Nintendo and Nintendo's ongoing relationship of sharing their properties with other developers? What does that suggest about like their, um, how they're trying to produce content with their big characters in time for a launch push? There are interesting conversations around that. And I would rather talk about the fact, hey, this thing exists. Let's talk about what that maybe means for Nintendo, what that maybe says going forward for them as a company. I would rather have those conversations than be discussing that was a trailer what what minute details did we see in the trailer what can we guess at now that we've seen the trailer it's like no there's interesting discussions to have that might be skimmed over you know by not talking about it when you know it's in a vacuum i guess (laughs) cool and i mean regards post news you've obviously held some stuff back have either of you run stuff before where you've, you've you know you've hit publish and you've gone Shit, I shouldn't have done that. I I did with one this year, and it's one that within 24 hours we had we had issued a retraction and been like, yeah, yeah, ignore that we post it. Like we didn't take it down, but we were like, yeah, disregard the information in this. Um, I think this was end of August. There was one switch uh, leak that I published and then very quickly took down. I say 24 hours; it was much quicker than that. Basically, because we failed to source as well as we should have done and very quickly realized oh here is a hole in how we reported on this that we really should have done better and were quickly transparent about the way we reported on it and where we fell into the issue and like we didn't take it down we were like yeah you know we'll own this this is an issue we've done that we will avoid in future but I think that's the only example I've got is one where I was too I didn't do some of the the checks on a source that I now would do. And I know for myself, I have no formal training in doing journalism. I've entirely self-taught myself um, in games writing. I failed my GCSE English exams. And I don't know, for me, it's been a learning experience. I just try and be transparent when something like that happens and talk about, okay, this is the failing that happened here. This is how and why it occurred, this is what I'm doing to avoid it in future. Just trying to be transparent about that stuff, I suppose. Mm. Nope, nope. Oh, no, that's <laughs> oh you're, you're that's just perfect good. journalist. No, 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 like, uh, it's certainly in the sense of regarding 
leaks and uh, the stories which have come from anonymous sources or sources who yeah, essentially uh, stories which have come from sources which aren't the official line of information. I'm pretty happy with how those have come out. But I mean, there have certainly been stories when I've regretted having posted them in the sense of it's been a failing on my part in the sense of the amount of um, uh, that I missed a piece of information or that I uh, made uh, basically just, yeah, like a thing which would, if I'd done a fact check, wouldn't have got through. Mm. But that's a failure of myself as opposed to those stories when it's getting, because normally it's one of those things where if I'm getting information from someone which isn't the official line, um, I want to be really, really sure that's a solid story when it goes out. And uh, this is exactly yeah. what you've been saying. Like, sort of, you want to be really, really careful about those sorts of things because you want to be right. You don't want yeah. to have to re- issue a retraction. No, because um, if you do that, it's it's no one wants to have that blemish on their record that says like this time you report you weren't right or this time you didn't do this correctly. Therefore you know, that takes away some credibility ongoing. And that's not something that anyone who's trying to do this long-term as a career ever mm. wants to have to do. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. That's, uh, so I'm trying to think of, like, examples of stories of that. But, like, I'm sure there are some. I'm sure there'll be something which, um, uh, if I was looking back over my history, it'll, but it's yeah, one of the things I have a terrible like memory for. come back and bit you in the ass. No. You oh. know, so to speak. It's like, well, <laughs> apart from that, to those ones. You know, you know, I mean, you know, you mentioned it earlier on, you know, get, getting blacklisted is quite, I mean, not you personally, but the site itself. I mean, that, that to me always seems like a massive stretch. Like, I, I mean, I, again, I, I said it, I thought it's, I, I do think it's quite petty on the part of publishers, but like, do, do you think that the lines that a journalist has to go over are, are quite minor before, some of the bigger publishers start throwing their toys out the pram. I don't know. I mean, it, if that information's there and like you say, you've got it and it's, and it's valuable, then like, I don't see what the problem is. There. It depends who it is. And some, sometimes publisher and developer responses, I think are a little bit silly. Um, my favorite example of a developer response to a leak I did was back in, this must be 2015. Um, back when I was writing at Destructoid, I leaked the existence of Until Dawn Rush of Blood about a week before Paris Games Week. And the day that I posted that leak, um, super, super massive, is it super massive or super giant? Super massive. Super massive did a Reddit AMA that same day and they denied the existence of any DLC in development for Until Dawn. And they were like, nope, that don't believe that report. It's not a thing. We, it's not real. And for a week, all that existed was I'd posted this leak. The developer had said it's not real. So everyone said, okay, guess it wasn't real. And then a week later, it gets revealed. I'm like, I told you, you could have just said nothing about so, my. So leak. is that you didn't... feeling one of like smug vindication, or just like really pissed off because like you had a week of people obviously going, "Haha, she don't know what she's talking about." Exactly, it, it's both. It's during that week, it is sheer frustration at I know this thing exists. Why is it being denied? For this week, I will be that person that made up a story about until dawn rush of blood existing and. Then a week later, it's like, yes, I have that vindication, but I'm still annoyed you put me through that week, which it can be a frustrating situation. Well, in the one which I remember, because this isn't something, a situation I've been in myself, but I've seen it happen to other people. I mean, for instance, like um, Jason Schreier announcing that No Man's Sky was going to be delayed. Oh. Uh, and all the fun and games that came with that. Bloody no hell. word from either PlayStation or Hello Games to confirm or deny this I think. I don't think either of them ever denied it. They just didn't say anything. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the No Man's Sky subreddit 
tossed and turned that idea around and decided the best thing is to call start issuing death threats to uh, Jason over this. But then also Keza, who was um, editor of Kotaku K at the time, was uh, she was getting a huge getting death threats just by having said this is this is right. I've heard this from my own sources. This is right, and just supporting Jason. Mm. I just thought of that thing of like a spillover of death threats, and like it's. I don't know. It's I, I completely understand why, from a developer point of view, if they've got a, a set date in mind where they're going to reveal information, and a journalist gets hold of that information beforehand and then reveals that information, they're not really going to step out of their way to defend that journalist who's suddenly receiving um, death threats or or just kick back from their community because it's sort of well, I mean, in the same way that we're not beholden to sharing their information, they're not beholden to protecting us mm. at all. Um, but at the same time, it's like if that information is out there, it's correct. You'd almost—I I don't because I've not worked in PR for a very long time. I can't really think if it would be a good move on the um, uh, the developer side to confirm or deny that information. Yeah, it's it is a weird situation. Like I know with the PS4 Slim thing, there was a there was at least a week between me putting my review and unboxing up and the announcement being official. And everyone during that week knew this was a thing, but. That didn't stop me having a week of receiving death threats, rape threats, and goodness knows what else. And the best I can understand why that happened, I think, was because it what I was saying about the console suggested it was less powerful on a raw power perspective than the Xbox One S. It didn't do some of the things that the, the One S did. And people who like Sony very much didn't want to admit that that was the case. Therefore, clearly I'm lying and therefore retaliation should be swift and just because how dare you suggest that Sony won't be the most powerful of the two upgraded boxes. And it is a weird position where I agree with you, like Sony had no obligation to, you know, say anything, but it's irritating when it's like his pictures, his videos, here's my write-up this falls in line with what other places have said. And I very clearly, clearly shown people it exists and they just stayed silent for a week, which is weird and frustrating. Like it, it annoyed me to think that like Sony somewhere were like, yeah, like nearly a million people have seen this unboxing, but if we don't talk about it, no one will know. (laughs) Yeah. I can understand the frustration. It's just sort of, yeah. And it's like, um, uh, I think that's just, it's, is an element that can happen as a result of of these sorts of stories. Um, yeah, it's, I've, not, I've not been in a situation where I've, I've revealed something like that and I've had a kickback from it, though. So that's mm-hmm. the sort of, I'm very happily saying it from the other side. So he's like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, you brought it on yourself because <laughs> you, that's not a response anyone should have on anything uh, for publishing anything, especially it's when it's a, a horrible person. internet default, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, you know, you put some some exclusive information out there that you know is going to upset a few people and that will translate as we're going to come to your house and skull fuck you or some such twist on it. It's a <coughs> faintly um, pretty horrendous kind of thing. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Keza there. I know she's had it really hard before on yourself. I mean, it's, 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 I, mean I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll get over it at some point, but uh, I don't know. Maybe. I wouldn't count on it being any time soon. No, the internet. no, sadly not. Sadly not. Um, Sorry, if if anyone's heard me coughing and sparring, I do apologise. Also, just just briefly, if if it sounds like we're backstage at a festival occasion, I don't know what <laughs> Viceland have been doing uh, for the last few hours, but they've been quite loud. Um, <clears throat> Julian, I just want to pick up on the Star Citizen piece that you wrote last year because that was very very thorough, very investigative. Lots and lots of seven pieces, right? Seven. 
five pieces. Five pieces. They're the, yeah, follow-ups and stuff as follow-ups well. Follow-ups and stuff as well. On this massive, strange, probably never going to come out properly game, um, you know, hours and hours of research into that. Why'd you do it? Because we, we, we know how this turns over. <laughs> like, you'll do all this amazing work, right? Because we've all done this. Loads of amazing work. You're so proud of a piece. Then something completely trivial goes up the next day and like, the, the hits are off the charts for oh, it. Like, it was a funny kitten video game thing. Boom. No, I know exactly which story did better. Um, right. <laughs> but you know, it's not done better yet. And that has... So, um, Sussison was... I'm really, really proud both with how that came out and the response to it as well was wonderful. Um, and But also it did traffic extremely well, which was nice yeah. to see because it's, it's so frustrating when you spend a huge amount of time on a piece and, it, it, and then no one reads it. That did really quite well. But for a Before week... Before any nasty internet people will say, oh, no one read it. Like still thousands, <laughs> no one still means thousands of people, but you yeah. know, it, it, it's, exactly, it's just yeah. like, you know, but it's not, not sort of the hundreds of thousands yeah, exactly. that you're wanting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, but only like, 20,000 people really enjoyed this thing I wrote. Oh no. Exactly, it's just nothing. Um, that... that that would be something that'd be quite nice. But um, no, like, um, uh, no, so the story, which for a week I was just, I was terrified it would always traffic more, not in the sense of like, uh, I wrote both pieces. So it was quite nice to get two very high traffic pieces, but it was a uh, don't share watchdogs to vaginas. Uh, <laughs> like it was basically just sort of a, there was this, uh, there was a character model in watchdogs Two which had a textured vagina on the model, which you could sometimes see if, uh, the woman um, was shot and then fell in a way that you could look up her skirt. And I put that up on the website and that f- just did silly numbers. And it was just sort of rushing up to uh, my um, star, uh, star Citizen uh, investigation. I was like, I don't want that to get beaten in a week um, by this. Uh, but it said uh, that that's done fine. No, it was, um, yeah, Star Citizen was fantastic. It was, uh, I spent about seven months uh, researching that. I started in February last year. We'd had this idea that we wanted to see what we could do if we uh, went in depth on a game project that was particularly exciting and had a huge amount of meat to it. And like Star Citizen is one where uh, there is there is obviously controversy in the sense that people talk about will it come out, won't it come out. Then there's also the whole like spin-off of people like what's happening money-wise with that game. Like sort of uh, it, is it a money hole where all this, because it's raised $140 million, like is that money just going in it's just disappearing and uh, not being spent well and that sort of thing. And and people can form their opinions outside of the project, but actually what was going on, we want to know more about it. But then similarly as well, like sort of the game, uh, if you take just the game on its own, is a fascinating game. Like it's sort of, they're trying something so ambitious and I wanted to know more about it. And so, uh, yeah, spent seven months of talking to developers um, uh, anonymously. And then, uh, and actually, so because we talked quite a lot about responses to things, uh, responses to when a story goes up from developers and publishers. Cloud Imperium games were brilliant when they found out. And uh, basically, they had heard that I was contacting developers because I contacted a lot of people. Um, and uh, some of them had then contacted Cloud Imperium Games to say, this journalist has been in touch with me. They couldn't say a great deal about what I wanted to know because I was only, it, people weren't going on to talk to Cloud Imperium Games that they're being contacted after I'd spoken to them because they wouldn't necessarily want to um, uh, have that relationship. Um, but so Cloud Imperium Games knew this 
that there was a story in the works and their response wasn't um no comment that was come up to, come up and visit us sit down with chris roberts who's their ceo i spent um good four hours with him just interviewing him on his own and then for the next week i spent um uh, having skype interviews with loads of their directors um they gave a huge amount of time as a uh, as a response to um uh, finding out i was writing this story and it 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 did I mean, it basically it didn't change the story in the sense of a lot of the facts I had were still the same, but I suddenly had different sides of that um, of those events. So, for instance, if you've read the article, you'll see that I'm not really in it very much. It's largely uh, this developer said this, and then Cloud Imperium said this, and going back and forth over the same uh, points and showing both sides of the argument. And that only came about because Cloud Imperium games when I contacted them, picked up the phone and, and answered. Um, yeah, that is, is brilliant to do. And you found that sort of level of openness quite refreshing then? Yes. Because what we said at the start of this, you know, the games media generally can be, well, the gate, sorry, the, the publishing side of it, the publisher side of it, when they give you access to developers can be quite guarded, mm. quite kind of like, you know, you're going to have effectively security there with you and make sure you don't cross a line. So that must be nice. You had to sit with Chris and just be like, get him. Presumably yeah. he was just willing to talk about near enough anything yeah well so basically yeah completely everything so basically i uh sat down with him and i brought uh brought along sort of a ten thousand word printout of transcripts um which was basically all the uh quotes i had on uh before i got talking to anyone at Cloud imperium and then um uh just went through pretty much everything and it was uh sort of question by question asking him it's like sort of uh Take me back to the beginning of the game's development. Let's walk through it. You did this. You made this decision. Why do you do that? Um, I've been told that this is what was going on at the time. Is this true? And then sort of, and they weren't denying things. It was just sort of, it would be uh, saying why it was they did the thing. And so I might have spoken to a developer who had one perspective on it, who, and like I'd have verified with other um, uh, developers uh, before going to Calimperium that this thing had happened, but I still only had these sorts of perspectives on it which weren't all-encompassing. And suddenly I had this sort of, uh, Roberts being the CEO, suddenly has this sort of top-down view on what's been told to all these different directors and to uh, ground-level staff. And I had uh, lots of information from ground-level staff and mid-level staff who were looking up. And so, yeah, I suddenly got this sort of much fuller account of everything that had happened. And it was that it was that moment where it's like, um, I remember coming out of that interview and just thinking, uh, none of what's been said uh, doesn't fit with everything I'd heard previously. So it was sort of that thing, you get that sort of sense of wholeness about a story where it's like, oh, right, this is actually what happened because everything I've been told from all these different sources all fits together. And do you think that, um, you know, we're often told that our, our positions are redundant you know, no one needs games, games media, no one needs the games press anymore. But, but what you've done there is put together this story with all these different, you know, parts, all these different characters and comprise the coherent whole at the end of it. Mm. And that's because you've had the time to do it and been afforded that time. And I guess, you know, Kotaku has said to you, Julian, however much space you need. Well, you know, you have to do your job as well. But, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, all this news needs needs doing. Um, but, you know, they're, they're willing to say, you know, to let you do that and obviously Cloud Imperium are very accepting mm. of it I mean do you think because of the way that a lot of the the games press does work which is very news cycle oriented it's very like you said like get mm. that review up day one or like here's a new video drop we're going to cover that blah blah you know a lot of the sites you go to have the same mm. thing 
do you think if more sites broke out of that like we wouldn't hear so much like oh well why do you exist because there'd be more pieces like your piece you know so there's quite a lot to 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 that so so um let's see the way that Kotaku UK runs is we're a subsidiary of Kotaku uh, US and uh, it's just two of us who do it, our editor and uh, me and the news editor role. And um, when we were doing Star Citizen, uh, I didn't have any time during the day for the most part to work on it. It was essentially lots and lots of late nights, weekends gone. I'm like, um, uh, happy to do it because it was also I was really interested in the story, but it was essentially making time to make this thing possible. And then also sort of the last two months of it, when it came to sort of pulling everything together, um, there was, uh, I, we started hiring, um, uh, we had a news cover uh, come in to basically to work during the day shift so I could be working on this article. And I mean, we can look at our traffic for those months and we did have a significant dip because we essentially had me, just half of the team, not doing any work that was visible on the website. It was a big cost for us. And like we took hits on that side. We also like financial costs, like the amount of we spent on sort of transcription and news cover made us a very expensive thing to do. Um, we're very proud of it and we're happy we've done it. And I, I would, I'm looking forward to doing those sorts of things again. And we've got projects in mind and that sort of thing. Um, but I can absolutely see why other websites can't do this, especially it's like, we, there are so many websites which are two people teams, three, four people teams, and the idea of one of them be one like a quarter of that team or a third or half of that team being just working on something else entirely for months at a time, it's not feasible. It's really, really hard to make it happen. I'd and like it would be brilliant to see it happen. And we and like I wouldn't want to dismiss games website by saying that we're all publishing the same thing because. It's incredible the amount of um, unique features, fascinating features where uh, people have spent time with interesting developers or communities um, and got stories which no one else have uh, has. That happens all the time. Like every week on every website, you're starting on, on all the good websites, you're starting to see these sorts of um, uh, features appear. I mean, no one else is a cake vagina website, <laughs> cake, cake vagina <laughs> article, like um, like sort of. And, just and, cakes, I should point out. <laughs> well, One of them but, was Gruntilda's face between her legs. Yeah. All number of things. <laughs> but like that sort of, that took someone's time to do that. And like it's sort of, and everyone else has to pull up the slack while that sort of thing is happening. And I need to, I don't know, I don't see a solution to fixing this problem except for having much larger teams. I mean, like you look at this website, Eurogamer. Eurogamer are fantastic. They do brilliant, brilliant um, coverage. And part of the reason they, they so consistently uh, are the ones putting up uh, huge features. They do some excellent uh, news journalism, but also like uh, features work and review work and so on. It's because they've got a large team. I mean, there's what, mm. 10 people, 13 people? Yeah, something. Um, and it's sort of like, a, and I don't know, that's, that's a luxury that a lot of people don't have. And so, yeah, the more staff you had and the more money that was in it, we would see more of these sorts of things. I'd love to see more of it, but it's just sort of, it's a lot of work to make it happen. Um, and you have to keep, the website ticking over while you're doing those other things you can't have a website that's not covering the stories that need to be which everyone has but it's also your website needs to have everyday coverage that people come to i mean do you know when you know you are just receiving press releases like we all do you know that we all, all you know so and so new game out april whatever do you know from them what's immediately kataki what's immediately let's play video games we should 
put a little spin on that and put something on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you already have a flavor for what your readers want. Like, you know, what games suit Kotaku, what games just, you know, you wouldn't get anything from. Well, I think I think the Let's Play video games, we have the luxury of we're a three-person team, but we are Patreon-funded, which puts us in the really nice position of we know that if we're not covering a press release that's gone out, that the people who are following us and who are supporting us will likely see it elsewhere and they'll still get that news. And it somewhat affords us the ability to cover the things that we find interesting and be confident that 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 interest that the writer has on that story will transfer over into making it an interesting thing for the the reader to, to read through. And I think there's definitely a sense of when you've got a small team like the team we've got, knowing this person on the team has an interest in these kind of stories, this person has an interest in these kind of stories. And as long as the people on the team are working on the things that they find interesting, it keeps a consistency of output where people know, oh, if I come to Let's Play Video Games, I'm going to see, be it news or features, about the things that these three writers, the areas of interest these three writers have. And it's a nice, flexible position to be in where we can say, these are the things our writers are interested in. If you're interested in those things too, you will see news, features, reviews on those areas from those kind of angles. Um, it's it's not a position every outlet can be in because obviously if you're making revenue off of advertisement, you have to know what's going to get clicks from the audience and what's going to maximize that. And that has to be a consideration, which is not a criticism on any outlet that runs that way. It's just a reality, I suppose, of if you need people to click on things in order to, to get the money rolling over, Watchdogs vaginas. Yeah, you you write about watchdogs vaginas. Um, I, I mean, even if I had Patreon <laughs> money, I'd still be writing about still that. I mean, like, yeah. so, well, <laughs> it's it, like that. I guess the difference would be like had had I still been back at Destructoid where I used to be, I'd have done the sort of thing that like you did, where it's like, hey, here's the thing about the vagina, the vaginas in that game. Whereas once I saw how that was trafficking with just like coverage of the vaginas in Watchdogs too, I could be like, okay. I think it would be really funny to abstract out the, like do abstractions of form of vaginas and be like, Hey, vaginas in video games shouldn't be such a taboo topic. Let's make a bunch of silly vagina art. And I could put like, I think I put four days into putting that together and I could just be like, yeah, that's totally a use of time because if I find it funny, probably the people supporting the site will. So I don't know. It's nice to have that flexibility. It's interesting. One of the sole one of the few criticisms we've had at Waypoint since since the launch in October too few vaginas? was that too few vaginas <laughs> hasn't come up yet, but I'll, I'll take that to the to the top brass right now. Uh, is it, they can't no names on the homepage they haven't been there, and it's a bit like what you're saying. You know, people like to kind of like I did when I was reading like music mags or whatever as a kid. You know, you'd want to read that journalist that you like, that critic that you like, and I think I think obviously that's in the in the big pile of things we're looking at and you know, <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day guys gosh um but you know personality is really important isn't it? like you say people yeah. will fund you people want to read your stuff people come to Kotaku say no you're there they're, they're like I mean you know the British Kotaku is quite different tonally from the American Kotaku a lot of times you know it's very British <laughs> which I like which I like you know you know as the sole Brit of the otherwise exclusively US team you know I don't I, I, well, I don't often get the British flow. Every now and again, I put a little British 
joke reference in there and I'm sure someone doesn't get it but leaves it there anyway just otherwise I'll get upset um but uh, <laughs> um I thought I'd just um ask a few questions we had from readers tweeters um before we close out um obviously some are going to be to do with the switch <laughs> but I wanted to ask you this Julian because it makes no sense to me but someone who has the you might have seen it anyway someone who has the twitter username buffalo custard bath that ring a bell to you no that's new okay they asks ask why is Reykjavik dangerous for journalists that that's a question that seems to have meaning yeah um like we've been in Reykjavik together haven't we you and i yeah we have yeah um i don't remember it getting that dangerous why in I'm, so I'm loving watching I, the two confused faces here, no, trying to I, puzzle out well, the question. Well, I don't know. I think what it might be. I mean, like, so CCP every year do um, eFanfest, and that's when we were last well, there. I was there last year. So I've yeah. been to that a couple of times, and every time there... I mean, actually, I suppose it, it happened much more the first time, but there's a lot of alcohol involved on the pub crawl of Never try and keep up with the with the locals. No. Um, the developers just... Know, I mean, there's the thing called the... Um, oh, Brennigan? Brennigan? Not Brennigan, that's... Um, it's the, the Futurama. But yeah, yeah, it's, which means what? Black Death. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, which, you know, if ever you want to your spirit, you should name it after a plague. Um, but um, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to be quite brutal to journalists because I think... Uh, that pub crawl has knocked out a fair few. I know I've I've lost a dictaphone on a on that pub crawl because I was uh, commentating some arm wrestling um, and I got knocked out of my hand. Uh, there was a point where, like, it wasn't so. No journalists were involved with this, as far as I know. But there was um, a fight that broke out between. They, so there, a couple of years ago, they used to um, uh, give the different teams on the pub crawl a flag. And uh, there was a game where it's like if you can get another team's flag, then you win like a bottle of. Um, black death at the other end of it um it. and so like you i just remember like vaguely coming out of a pub about six six pubs deep or so and uh seeing this team of screaming like, eve players running down the road after another team of eve <laughs> players trying to get their flag and like apparently at one point this broke out into a massive fight but uh, i don't really remember any of that so i don't know if any journalists got caught up in that and that's what maybe that's brought what them is. low that could maybe. be it. have you have you ever been in a fight in Reykjavik Laura that we should I've, know about? I've never been in a fight in Reykjavik but I feel like I'm missing out by having not been now I feel oh, yeah. like this is some kind of journalist experience that oh, yeah, it's I've, a trial I'm, by I'm fire <laughs> <laughs> there's always I was gonna say there's always next year but it's this year it's January so I oh gosh I haven't yeah. quite kicked over in the 2017 <laughs> just four months yet. to go I'd, yeah um twitter again through twitter someone called joe crook asks um what indie games would you like to see on switch now i'm gonna say that's presumably recent or imminent ones we all know that rhyme's coming out for it which i'm quite happy about i remember rhyme getting a cover of edge years ago now and i was thinking that's going the way of the edge cover curse there's been a, a fair few of those over the years but uh yeah well i mean i don't know like switch comes out obviously it's got mary obviously it's got zelda and various other things i mean you know what I guess what what cool indie games would you like to see in there? Because Nintendo has a really strange relationship with indies. It has some great ones on there, like you know Shovel Knight and mm. stuff. But then, yeah, the f the first thing that came to mind to me is stuff that uh, stuff like your Binding of Isaacs, where it's you can you can sit and play through around very very quickly on the go. You can you know stop between floors or something. There's convenient places to stop as you complete rooms, but that it's still an experience that if you put up on the TV holds up and works that way. Like can either do that very long playthrough on your couch or 
you can be like, I completed this one single room. Now I'll turn the screen off and get off the tube or whatever. And yeah, I think that's generally the big thing that's going to be important for indies on the Switch. Um, it, it's a really nice looking device. I'd like to be able to take more indie games on the go. Well, so the thing which the Switch has, which um, uh, I, I really want to see indies take on, on, on board, is the thing because you can do multiple controllers. Yeah. Like, I'd love to see Tricky Towers on a Switch. Mm, like, yes. just the idea that I could be on the bus with a friend and we could just snap off the controllers and each be playing Tetris on the back. I'd happily spend, oh, car journeys would just yeah. dissolve with that sort of thing and going on. The the car headrest jack in, yeah, the, yeah. Um, in the opening thing. I think that's such a good idea of just get a bunch of really fun, silly multiplayer games that you can play with just an analog stick and four buttons. Oh, similarly, um, I've not actually had a chance to play it yet, but I, I, I went out and bought a copy as soon as I saw it existed. Um, have you ever played Mashed before? Mm-hmm. It was back on the PS2 like it was essentially those uh, micro machine style races where you're all sharing one screen there's like four uh, you can have four play- i think you could have eight player on um mashed um but like you can pick up like sort of machine guns or barrel bombs that's the thing it was just this manic racer uh destroying other people's cars or knocking them off the screen blaze rush is one of the ps plus games this mm. month and it's the same sort of thing but it's only on ps3 yeah. in the ps plus but i went out and bought it on the ps4 because <laughs> like it just saw the video for it and this thing looks amazing i'd want to see that sort of thing on the switch i would love to see and it's one that i've previously taken like a ps4 somewhere to to run is the jackbox games they're sort of uh the party game collections where you all use your phones to play because it's really convenient to have a small, easily propped up screen that you can take somewhere and then be like, right, it's about large enough for everyone to see. Here's your party game to sit around. Mm. So that's that's one that like, if like your Jackbox collections were on Switch, I would be taking that to a lot of parties probably. Because yeah. I'll, because... I'll be that person in the Switch trailer that turns up to a party and yeah, says, right. I don't want to have a conversation. Let's play my video <laughs> that's game. That's better than showing up with Mario. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, well it, you can come play this it, with me. At least show up with a game where people can type in like funny words about boobs on their phone Absolutely. and everyone can have a giggle. Always a winner. Yeah. There are no boobs in the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> but actually, sorry, if we're not talking just multiplayer games, like, um, and this is more of like a speculative, what I would love to see is uh, SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist are two of the best games that well, have been both on Nintendo. Nintendo yeah. Yeah. Um, like, whatever they make next. I'm just excited to see what they announce next and hopefully there's going to be something on the Switch because that would just be awesome. Um, I mean, I, 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 guess the, I guess indie support will go a long way towards sort of cementing the switch with people like ourselves i suppose you know mm. i love my wii u i totally do but it is the mario the yoshi the kirby system you know yeah. i don't really have that many indie games on it so to see that some of that support would be be good be amazing you know whenever there was one for the for the wii u i think i was it yoten came out on it recently yeah. the the vikingy one i was like yeah i'll download that on the wii u because it's a novelty right yeah. exactly uh-huh. like when i think tengami was one that came out that i played through that on the wii u because i was like yeah it's a it's a thing that i wanted to play anyway and it's on a nintendo system i'll play give me an excuse to play my console there you go dust it off dust it off um a twitter user called phantom door um, ask you, Laura, about the, the. We mentioned this before we came on the podcast mm. about movie reports and whether, mm. when you read, you know, in in the media about you know reports on a, on a forthcoming movie, usually they're from the set, they're like leaks mm. from a set or something, um, which we just accept. You know that yeah. that's how that kind of news works. 
But with games, obviously, you get this big, quite a big retaliation from leaks sometimes. We've kind of touched upon it a bit, you know, well, not just a bit, you know, you've had all kinds of nonsense thrown your way uh, for, for just saying, look, here is where it plugs into the wall or something. <laughs> How dare you spoil this for us? I mean, do you, you know, what, what's it, what's this, what it is, uh, he's saying, so what do you think the difference is there? Is it a cultural thing or is it, an, is it a generational thing? Is it just the audience? It's interesting. I think there's just a difference in expectation. Um, in movies, the th- main things that can leak are a script or footage of scenes being recorded, which means that there is an expectation of if something leaks about a movie, don't look at it, otherwise you will know something about the final product. And there's there's a set expectation of if something about this experience leaks, it's going to be part of the final experience. I either want to see that or I don't. I think that video games, because they have such a long lead up time on development, there are so many moving parts, there's so many bits of tech or hardware that could be used in different ways that there is a lot less of a solid expectation of what to expect from a leak. And I think that that might be a factor just that a leak about a video game could mean so many varying things that it's harder for an audience to perhaps know going in, is this something I would want to know? Is it something I want to stay away from for the final experience? There's less of a clear line of whether that will be the case going in. And that might be a factor in why they're different, but that's the only thing I can think of. I can't think of any other reason, really. Me neither, beyond people on the internet who like games just being a bit funny about it yeah. sometimes. Which, Pe- you know, People who like games are a very specific audience, it seems. Yeah, very, a very broad but wonderful one. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes very angry. And I think there may be an element of sort of... Um, well, it's certainly mean there's a huge amount to talk about like uh, how the marketing of video games over the last few decades has been about creating a very specific grouping of people you like games and other people don't whereas a video mm. with film it was never sort of a subculture thing film has always been everyone yeah. likes film you may like that sort of film you may like that sort of film but like everyone likes mm. film whereas that wasn't the expectation of video games and so i wonder if like sort of that's just in many ways as bread and more vociferous uh, audience. Is, is it possible that because of the fact that video games have that kind of audience of you are a gamer, like that's your identity, that you, video games are your thing, mm. that potentially some of it is just annoyance at, wait, I like video games a lot. Why do? Why did I not know this thing at the same time as you did, perhaps? That that yeah. might be a factor? Maybe. Um I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I, w- I wish I knew a solid answer. It is interesting that the two are so different in audience responses, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, just just finally, finally, then I just thought, end on a positive. I wanted to know what um, what games, what video computer games, um, you're just really excited about for this year because it's the start of the year. Um, I was, you know, was on the... On the phone, I was going to say. I was on the internet phone to America the other day. And we were talking about, you know, what's coming up for February and March even. It's full of really good games. Nier Automata. Have you played that? Oh, that oh it's so good. fantastic. Fantastic. Really looking good. It's going to die horribly. Obviously, it's coming out in a really busy month with some small little thing called Mass Effect coming out. <laughs> but, I mean, I wish it all the best. What I've played is awesome. But, I mean, what, what are you two really excited about for this year? I stopped and looked at like the first three months of this year the other day. Uh, I didn't realize that Horizon Zero Dawn is like the end of February. Yeah, so I did yeah. not realize it was that soon. And I'm very excited. Um, I 
I'm mainly excited to play it because I, I got to go hands-on with it at E3 and the E3 show floor demo was like a tiny circle. If you go 10 seconds any direction, you're told to turn around oh, really? and head back. I and it's it. like... A much oh, bigger bit. You got to play E3. the bigger bit. I played no, the big I, bit. I, I only got to do the little bit at E3, and, and uh, I was like, it was a tantalizingly, uh, annoyingly good tiny space yeah. that I was running around. My so. favorite fact about that game is uh, I was chatting to one of the developers who revealed that. So I was, I was like, oh, the inspiration for this must be what? Monster Hunter, Shadow of the Colossus, that sort mm. of thing. like, yeah. But actually, it was David Attenborough's life. <laughs> and, um, apparently, they were just watching lots of David Attenborough. They're saying, like, this makes the world look beautiful. See, now someone has to do a video with, you know, Sir David's commentary over some... Over Horizon some robot dinosaurs. I don't want to, you know, I may have been trying to make some outreaches to his people to do such a thing. Um, to David's people. To David's people. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Mr. Attenborough's. Um, but, yeah, that game looks beautiful. But... Oh, it looks so good. It does the, look great. The, the, other, the other ones I guess I'm excited for in that first couple of months is Mass Effect Andromeda. I I loved everything about the original trilogy. I know some people didn't like the ending of 3. I was fine with it. I liked it. I, I just want more Mass Effect in my life. So when Magical Ghost Boy showed up, you were just like, yeah, I was, I'm cool I was with this. Totally, I was totally cool with Magical Ghost Boy. I thought that the, the, the fact that ultimately, no matter what you did, the universe was kind of going to go the same way. is like, yeah, there's a bit of futility involved and that's kind of a nice commentary on life and existence. And maybe I'm just excusing a game that's a bit bad, but it's fine. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So that's fine. <laughs> Um, that's reasonable and then the big one being like oh i'm so ready for the switch i, I like nintendo a lot i know i keep spoiling their things but i like nintendo yeah. and but you but but, yeah. but you put those details out there because you like it that's yeah. the thing if you weren't interested you would if, I, do if it. I didn't care about nintendo i wouldn't be putting the effort in but yeah. i i am excited to just have a new nintendo console in my life that games are coming to again because as much as I loved the Wii U as a piece of hardware, there was nothing to... The, the last 12 months, I think I played um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions FE. And oh, I think yeah. that's the only game that came out this year that I've played on the Wii U. There was Star Fox, wasn't there? In sort of oh, April there was. There was Star Fox. I really wasn't a fan of its yeah. control scheme. So that's that's maybe two games I played yeah. in the last 12 months. I, I, I want a new Nintendo console with, with games. So do I, and I want it to do well as well. You know, I, I, obviously, you know people throw you know talk around about, oh, you know, it's gonna, the Wii U's going to ruin Nintendo. And of course it's not going to ruin Nintendo because no. Nintendo got shed loads of money they're doing quite well thank you very much um but yeah it would be good to see them pu- punching the punching yeah. you know at their at the right way you know and, and again what i love about the switch is like obviously they don't give a shit what xbox or ps playstation <laughs> are doing. they don't care what those consoles are doing they're just like nah mate we're nintendo we're gonna do whatever the hell we <laughs> want over here good when sort of people sort of throw back that thing of like oh it has to at least be a graphically more superior no. than this. Like, why this, this like, is, we've, like we've got yeah. the ps4 we've got the xbox one they're two very similar systems who both have wonderful games but i don't need another one that does the same thing i want something where it's like oh, i didn't realize you could do that with a console like, that's exactly why i love nintendo i love following and covering and playing nintendo stuff because it's you never know quite what to expect they are always the weird spanner in the works that's like oh i guess we play video games like this now yeah sure i'll give that a try and like also you look at sort of um so even if you look at something like the, the playstation where its differences compared to the xbox so you had um uh tear away 
um, mm. and uh, stuff from Media Molecule. And like that was one where it's like, sort of, okay, we've got the PS4 controller, which can do stuff that no other game's controller can do. And it gave you a way to interact with the world that you couldn't get on anything else. And that was really enjoyable. And like with the uh, Nintendo going in a different way with the Switch from other consoles, it means like if developers feel that they can develop games for it and they will make enough money back on it we could see something which just couldn't exist on the other consoles mm. and like that's exciting to see because it's like we all want games that can't exist on something else yeah we want new games to be capable of happening mm. and nintendo likes to offer ways to be like hey do you want to have these tools to put a game out i love seeing what nintendo do like they may stumble sometimes but i still love them so <sighs> Yeah, I want to see this, how the Switch is received. I want to see how it goes over. And by this time next week, I'll probably have touched one. So that's all good. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you guys think that it will succeed? I haven't a clue. Like what, what, what does mean, count what, as success? Exactly, like I said, suppose. So, cause, so what's... Uh, what do you think, do you think it'll be... 57 million sales what do you, do you think it will, at the moment? And... My voice is completely gone. Do you think it will outsell the Wii U? Without a doubt, I think it will just by virtue of being portable. I think it will do better in certain markets just by that virtue. Um, there, there are two. There, there's a very good and a very bad way this can go. Um, like it seems like they're trying to consolidate their handheld and their home console markets into one market, and I really hope that the handheld market boosts the home console rather than the home console dragging down the handheld and. I think that by consolidating those two together and hopefully that resulting in a larger amount of first-party releases every year because you've got twice the first-party studios working on one platform, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the positives and the excitement that's currently behind it transfer into better sales than the Wii U and something that sells well enough that through its whole lifespan it is receiving games it doesn't die 18 months before its actual death mm. i think that's a, that would be a success and i think that this is the best shot nintendo probably have of making it happen so nintendo's in a good position that they just have to not do anything to nintendo e at this stage don't do the weird thing that ruins everything nintendo um, yeah i just I don't know if I could speak with much knowledge as to whether it will be successful or what success would be. And I think there's certainly an advantage in that it very clearly is a new console in a way that Wii U, when it first got announced, it was a bit confusing not to call it the Wii 2 or something like that. So it's sort of, I don't know, it, I think there was a lot of mixed messaging when that console was coming mm, out to yeah. really shout to people, there is a new Nintendo console coming out. It does different things because... They they yeah. mainly showed off games that had been on the Wii on the Wii original, but yeah. with like here's a tablet. They didn't make it clear that this was a different box. They didn't yeah. they didn't pick games that showed off. It was a higher resolution in that it was mainly like me games and two D Mario games that don't show off. This is an HD system. They hid the console away and only talked about the the controller. Well, actually, and I suppose they have done that with Switch to a degree in the sense of that Switch video showing off Splatoon and Mario Kart. It's like are those new Splatoon games? Is that new Mario Kart? Or is I, that sort of just showing that it still runs I, Wii games on it? Or I think what they succeeded at doing with that trailer was they they dealt with the biggest hurdle, which is what is this system? 
it is something that plays games on your TV. You can unplug it and you can keep playing those games even if you go on a plane or leave like leave the house, go on a plane, go out to the park. It's your console games, but outside and also at home. And like that, that is a strong enough message that I think they very deliberately left for three months to be like, this is the core messaging. It's a home console, it's a handheld, it's both. You're not tethered between one and the other. And next week is basically when we're going to get here is all of the other information that somewhat muddies that description. But at least we had three months where the core message was it's a home console and a, and a handheld. So. All of that muddying information. Uh, Goodness me. On that bombshell, Laura, um, Julian, thanks for coming on. Where, when, where can people find you on the internet, on the Twitter you can find me pretty much everywhere at Laura K Buzz. I've got I've got that branding down. Just Laura K Buzz, you'll find all <laughs> of the things. Otherwise, let's play videogames.com. Consistent branding. Julian, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, they can find me at, at Jay Benson. Um, and then for reading my words, go to Kotaku UK. Fantastic. And yeah, please do follow uh, Waypoint on the Twitter and everything else. It's at Waypoint. You can find us on Facebook as well and Instagram and all that good stuff. And you can find us at, at uh, waypoint.vice.com. Um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. Um, apologies for the coughing and the noise and all the other good stuff that comes with recording a podcast these days. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.